Hey, I'm Heather, a chaos coordinator and mom of three young kids. Chaos and cookies is literally my life, with never-ending dishes, laundry, you name it. Being a mom is a blessing, but it also comes with hard days too. Together, we can find the humor and real solutions to lighten your load and clean up the crumbs. You're listening to the Chaos and Cookies Podcast. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of the Chaos and Cookies Podcast. I have a wonderful National Geographic guest. Uh, You know how uh, I love featuring different authors and photographers, um, especially from Nat Geo on the show. I think it's important for our kids to be cultured and really uh, be able to dive into factual information and, and really learn from the best. And so before I bring on my guest, I will give her a quick introduction. Her name is Stephanie Warren Drimmer, and she is a frequent contributor to National Geographic Kids Magazine and a prolific author of books about science and nature for kids. In her new book, Ultimate Book of the Future, Incredible, Ingenious, and Totally Real Tech That Will Change Your Life As You Know It, author Stephanie Drimmer shares exciting advances in high and cool high-tech stuff and shows us how scientists are working today to solve problems for a better tomorrow. Taking kids on a fascinating journey of discovery, Drimmer, a longtime writer for Nat Geo Kids magazine, has a knack for making complex topics easy to grasp and interesting for kids that through clear and lively explanations, often with a touch of humor or suspense. While filled with fun and wonder, everything in this book is backed by research and grounded in science reality. Kids will discover what's coming soon in robotics, bionics, travel in space, and much more. As they dive into chapters on everyday tech, future cities, future food, high-tech entertainment, transportation, building better bodies, and saving the world, young readers will have a chance to imagine what tomorrow might look like. Some of her favorite titles for National Geographic Kids are Beneath the Waves, about the fantastic diversity of ocean life, surprising stories of everyday stuff, about the weird histories of objects from ketchup to frisbees, and the book of heroines. Uh, Stephanie lives in Seattle, Washington, and I'm going to welcome Stephanie now. Welcome. Hi. Thank you for being here. I know you have a two-year-old as well, and I've got little ones and we're in summertime. So I appreciate you making the time. No problem. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And before we dive in, um, I like to ask a quick icebreaker, which is uh, what is your favorite cookie and or cookie memory? Oh, my favorite cookie. So many good ones to pick from. I know. I think I'd have to go with peanut butter. My mom used to make peanut butter cookies all the time growing up. um, And it's just one of those classics you can't beat. I love peanut butter. Like anything, well, peanut butter and chocolate, but peanut butter, I will go for every time or chocolate chip. It's kind of a tie. I'm right there with you. Peanut butter and chocolate is the best combo. And I just feel so terrible for people that are allergic to peanut butter. Like it's not the same. It's not, I mean, it's delicious, but, oh, or just sunflower butter. Like you can't have any type of nut. It's sucks. I feel terrible (laughs) for them. It's like the worst allergy you can have. Yeah. Well, I, um, I dove into the book, but before, uh, we, we talk about it. Uh, can you give us a little bit of background, um, about 
how you became an expert of all things interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm, I'm not a scientist or an engineer or anything like that. I'm a science writer. Um, so I'm just a layperson with a layperson's level of knowledge, but I uh, get to ask really interesting and cool people questions about what they do and kind of tell the stories of science and, you know, exciting technological discoveries that are happening now. Um, so I uh, got into that by um, when I was in college, I was a biological anthropology major, which is a fancy term for the study of human evolution. Right. Um, and I didn't know what I was going to do with that. I liked what I was learning about, but I didn't really picture myself, you know, digging for bones or working in a lab. And um, so I was reading uh, one of the books for class one day and happened to flip it over and read the author bio. And it said she was a science writer. And that was kind of a light bulb moment for me because I had no idea that that was the career. Um, turns out it is, and there are schools that will teach you how to do it. So I went to one of them um, at NYU and uh, got started writing for kids there and just haven't looked back. Love writing for kids and have been doing it for about 12 years. That's amazing. I mean, kids, <clears throat> you want to start reading early. I have younger elementary school kids. And so they're finally getting into like chapter books. My two older one, my younger one is now just starting to ask me like what the screen says and, and tries to put words together. Uh, mm -hmm. So teaching them how to read is, um, I mean, you want them to learn about true things, you know, novels and fiction are great too for imagination. But uh, my oldest, I do these interviews for my oldest. I like secretly love finding out more because he is my documentary kid. He is the one that loves bugs and dinosaurs and all things science. And uh, when I got this book, it's all about robotics and space. And he's not actually really into that type of stuff yet. I What came to mind was my nephew. He is uh, four love space and things. And so I find it fascinating as an adult. Yeah. I'm right there with you. Space is one of my favorite topics. And I think, you know, there's a place for all of that stuff. And if your kids are into fiction, that's great. Let them read fiction. If they're into dinosaurs, great. Let them read about dinosaurs. You know, I don't think the subject matters so much as uh, developing their sense of curiosity and their sense that, you know, that they can answer questions that they have, um, this information is available to them and, you know, kind of uh, giving them the tools to answer their own questions. I think, you know, that's the important thing. Right, 100%. And so I actually have a question which um, is around your book, which is how far away are we from a world where robots are everyday companions and helpers and kids using like a flying car? I mean, I'm sure that's a pretty common thing. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the idea for this book was, well, kids don't want to hear about what might happen in like a hundred years or 200 years. That's not that interesting to them. What's interesting to them is what is the world actually going to look like in say the 2050s when they're grown up? Um, and so all of the tech in this book is stuff that is really in development. It's stuff that um, there are prototypes or patents for or teams of people working on, um, usually all of the above. Uh, it doesn't mean that 
everything in this book is going to become part of all of our lives. You know, the future is unpredictable, but it means that, you know, this is not fictional stuff we're talking about. This is real tech and that makes it, it pretty cool. Um, you brought up flying cars and that's one of my favorite examples because flying cars are something that we've thought were right around the corner for. Yes. Long Even time. when we were kids, like yeah. we were told we were going to be flying in cars. I'm like, exactly. we see the movies that come out with it too, you know? Right. Or even in um, like back issues of popular mechanics, they would talk about it. And uh, the, you know, in the Jetsons, they had flying cars. Yes. I was just say the Jetsons had a flying car. Everyone. Yeah. And I forget when the Jetsons was set, but we have definitely past that point. In yes. Time. Yes. Still no I think it's probably car. like 2000 or something. I, yeah. If that, yeah, I think you're right. Um, yeah. But you know, now we really are on the cusp of having flying cars. There are a ton of companies with working prototypes that have shuttled people from place to place. Um, and they're also working on sort of the logistics side, you know, where are these cars going to take off from? Where are they going to land? Where are the first places that we're going to put these flying car hubs? And um, the thinking is that the first ones will go in sort of major transit areas. So for example, um, between uh, Manhattan and JFK airport. Um, I lived in New York, like I mentioned when I was in grad school and that is a not very fun hour long subway commute. Um, but no, and not a lot of people drive in New York. Like I have, my family's from New York and not a lot of people have cars because you live in the city and there's so much public transportation. So it's funny how you're thinking it might be there for ones that don't even drive on the road. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it wouldn't be, you know, a car that you own. Um, it would, Oh, it wouldn't. No. So I, I think we're moving away. The idea is we're moving away from that in general. So not just with flying cars, you know, that they're going to be very expensive, especially at first. And that's going to be something that you will like go to a transit hub, get on the flying car, zip over to JFK and then get on your plane. You know, that would be like the first way we would. Ah. Um, but I think in general, uh, we're moving away from a world where everyone owns a car individually anyway. I mean, I think a lot of people think that the future will be more like fleets of cars, maybe driverless cars roaming around and you can kind of hail one when you need it and it drops you off and you don't have a need for a car in your garage, which is pretty cool. I mean, some people love owning cars and that's great for them. I'm not one of those people. I think the idea of not having to pay for the car and maintain it and not having to store it in a garage is pretty cool. I mean, think about what you could do with all of that extra space just in Mm -hmm. your home. And money <clears throat> and income, especially right now with gas prices. I'm I'm in Texas and I filled my gas. I get I filled my car up yesterday, ninety six dollars, and it's four dollars and sixty nine cents a gallon. Yeah, it's uh, it's wild. And we make so it I here, <laughs> so right. it's it would be phenomenal to be able to just like hail a car even in like the suburbs. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Interesting. I think that, so that's very interesting. Cause I was thinking when you say flying car, I'm like the amount of fear that would happen when you're driving and then you've got maybe like air lanes up ahead and it could crash on you or something like that. Now you've got to watch above you. Right. Yeah. I think that it sounds, it's one of those things that sounds scarier than it is. Um, right. you know, I think there's so many people who are afraid of flying and we all know that in truth, flying is statistically way safer than driving. And so one would think that 
it would be kind of more along those lines. And yeah, I don't, I don't think there's a lot of people envisioning that everyone's going to be um, getting in their flying car and driving around. And so there hopefully won't be like, you know, 95 year old grandmas just floating around looking for the supermarket. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. No, no, I don't think so. Well, what about um, moving into like the smart stuff? So like we have smartphones and smart TVs, cars. And so will we have smart clothing or material that can protect us from injury or increase productivity? I mean, when the, you know, when I, my first cell phone was a Nokia, it was a brick, like there was no computer, like then we went to Blackberry and now you've got the touch stuff, right? So now you have a computer at your hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think we're envisioning a future when that computer is in your clothing. Um, you know, it's everything from sort of kind of simple stuff to an umbrella that pings your phone when you leave it behind so that you're not perpetually forgetting it, which is something that I do. Um, or maybe your kid's yeah. jacket, if your kid is perpetually leaving your jacket, uh, you know, wherever, um, it'll, it'll give them a little buzz to remind them. Um, but also even cooler stuff, like, um, there's someone developing, uh, this material that contains these special microscopic structures that when they're hit with light from the sun, they emit energy that actually cleans the fabric. So if you're out to lunch, you spill some ketchup on your shirt, it will go ahead and remove that stain right for itself. And I think, um, like as a mom, the idea oh. of not having laundry at all anymore is pretty good. Oh I mean, the amount of laundry that kids, like they like to change their, their, um, their pajamas every night. I'm like, you don't need to do that. If you're not wetting the bed or getting it, even if you have a stain from dinner the night before, I don't care. Like stop giving me seven pairs to wash. I prefer two, (laughs) you know, amount of laundry. You get that that load and you're hoping it's full of like four towels and not like 50 pairs of tiny shirts and pants. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, if you're a mom of little kids, the laundry basket, if it's full, just think like those are tiny clothes. Yeah. If our laundry basket's full, it's like, okay, it's like a work, week's worth, not too bad. But kids, if it's full, it's three times the amount of clothing that you would have for an adult because they take up less room. Exactly. Yeah, it's a lot. I'm over the laundry. I'm ready for the future laundry solutions. Oh my gosh. Can we speed that up? Do you know when that will be coming out? (laughs) (laughs) I think that's something that's pretty early in development. Um, There are some other laundry inventions. There's one called the, I think it's the foldy mate, um, which I don't know if you're like me, but like I'll do the laundry. It's not that bad, but the folding, I just, it's the worst. Folding and putting away. Yeah. So the idea of this, uh, this foldy mate is that it folds laundry for you. Unfortunately, you have to load each piece of laundry into it, like in a perfect line. So at that point, you might as well just take, might as well just do it. Yeah. So, you know, I'm holding out for this, uh, this material that will just prevent the laundry in the first place. Cause I don't think we're getting the laundry robots anytime soon, unfortunately. Bummer. Bummer. That was the one thing. If, and my listeners know like laundry is my kryptonite. I used to fold my laundry in the carpool lane when I go pick the kids up because I sat there for 45 minutes and That's smart. It get, like it forces me to do it because I'm sitting in one spot. I don't like to sit at one spot at home unless if I am finally getting that moment to, I don't want to do anything. And so especially fold laundry. So if I'm in the car sitting and knowing I'm going to have to sit there, folding laundry in my car. That's smart. I do it on the bed so that I'm forced to put it away before I go to sleep. Cause otherwise it'll just sit in a pile. 
or the, that, that, you know, the common things where you wash your sheets and then you're like, Oh, I forgot. To put oh, sheets that is the, the worst. You like fall asleep on the couch and then you stumble into your bedroom and the sheets are in a pile and you're like, no, I know it's like, uh, it's the worst. And then you're so tired, but you're like, I just can't bring myself to sleep on the mattress without a sheet. No, you can't <laughs> even when it's yours. It feels gross for some reason. No, it does. It is the worst thing. I mean, the, it's, it's so funny how common it is as well. Um, well, how about um, tech and entrepreneurs that are, you know, working on new devices for future, like um, any crazy ideas that we used to dream about that will never come true? Yeah, there's a ton of that. Um, so much of it that I had to make it a feature of the book. So in every chapter, there's a future fail. Um, yeah, because I think we all remember stuff from like the Jetsons, like we talked about, or maybe, you know, Star Trek sci-fi movies like, um, warp speed or force fields or in Charlie and the chocolate factory, they had that anti-gravity machine. Um, oh, that's right. And that, yeah. And that's, uh, that's all stuff that, you know, not only do we not have, we are nowhere near coming up with any of it. Um, and it is just, it's just a big fail. So it's funny to think about, you know, the stuff that we used to think we for sure we're going to have, um, you know, like in the Jetsons, they had Rosie, the robot and like, I know she was great. Yeah. I I really want a Rosie. It seems crazy that we've, you know, landed robots on Mars. But where's our Rosie? It just seems so much easier. Um, but like we were saying, we're just really not anywhere close to having a Rosie or a laundry robot. So that's a fail, unfortunately. That's a bummer. Mm-hmm. No Rosie's coming time soon. <laughs> well, um, what advice do you have for our young listeners who are interested in, in becoming a writer? Oh, um, I love that question. I being a writer is a great job. Um, it's really fun. And, and I think you can be a different kind of writer tailoring to your interests, you know? So, um, I don't write any fiction, although that would be fun someday. Um, cause I'm into science and, uh, that's not always something you think of when you think of writing, but I think, you know, if kids are interested at all in writing, the best, best thing that they can do is read all writers that I know read a lot. Um, and you don't have to read, uh, you don't have to read super complicated stuff or you don't have to read the most highbrow new novels. I think, um, I read all kinds of junk. I read fun beach, beach reads and I read, you know, (laughs) totally. I think reading is for fun and, um, and you should let it be fun for yourself. I, I think people put a lot of pressure on themselves sometimes. And, you know, it's good to expand your mind, but it's also good to read a trashy novel, you know? Yeah. Great. So I think for kids, uh, sometimes people push their kids into, you know, reading stuff that uh, they think they should be reading. Um, and in reality, I think that we just need to be fostering that love of reading. And there's so many great options for kids that weren't around when we were kids, you know, like graphic novels, Um, a ton of kids who aren't interested in reading can be really into graphic novels. And they're just sort of a great bridge into this whole world of reading that, um, you know, we as adults might think like, that's, that's not high relic, that's not good for their brain, but it, you know, it really is. There are a lot of super, super cool graphic novels or, you know, books like this one, there's a ton of 
this my book, there's a ton of, you know, illustrations and photography. It's very colorful, very um, colorful. Very, when I was flipping yeah. through it, it's, it's, a, yeah, it's a big hard book too. Right. Um, and so they, you know, we really make an effort to appeal to all kinds of kids. You know, you don't have to be super techie already to find something that you like in, in this book. And, um, I mean, that that's the hope anyway. Yeah. I love it. Um, every time I receive a book from the publisher that, um, I get you lovely guests with, um, they always send it to me and I always, when I pull it out, it's the yellow from the national geographic. And my oldest is always like, Ooh, mom, what's this one about? And he oh. loves it. He just knows that it's something that he's going to get to dive in and learn. Cause he knows that I always give it to him first, but I'm like, no, I need it first for, for the podcast. I need to talk to the, the uh-huh. author, the, whomever it is to make sure that I understand, but you can read it in a little while. So he was like, couldn't wait to get his hands on it. And so I think that that's super great. And my mom was a reading specialist. So she's always on me about like, make sure they're reading every day. And it's like, I want them to want to read and not be forced to read. Uh, I remember as a kid, I would have to sit with a timer and like read for my 20 minutes a day. And I was just like, I want to read what I want to read. And, but again, I get that that was also how my mom, cause she was thought it was very important. And so I'm approaching it differently as a parent by saying like, I want you to read something that you like. And he loves that, you know, uh, graphic novels. He loves the bad guys. He loves like Captain Underpants. Yeah, that's great. I wasn't like enthused with because of the show and it was really hard to understand them on the show. I was like, I'd rather you read it than listen to it. Uh-huh. And so that um, he really enjoys them and they but feel accomplished. Like it sounds like it's fostered a love of maybe reading other stuff, which is yes, going yes. For, you know, I mean, I think what I always think about when working on these books is that I really want to sort of trick kids into learning. Um, yeah. You know, I don't want you to feel like you're sitting down with a timer that you have to get through. Like, let me tell you about something so cool and interesting and fun that you're not even going to realize that you're learning some sort of science principles or math principles along the way. Um, and it, that's, if I can do that, then I, I feel happy that I've done my job. That's amazing. Well, that's a, an incredible job, especially as a mom, you got a two-year-old. So I know that you um, probably try to keep him in mind too. Like what would he want to listen to or, or, or not listen to, but to, uh, to read about or learn about. Um, so I bet that's right. fun. Yeah. Yeah. She's only two. So she hasn't had to sit through my books yet, but, um, but she will someday. She will. She'll have to, right. It's like, mm-hmm. look what mommy wrote. She'll want to. I think she'll want to, you know. I hope so. I hope so. But, you know, if she doesn't, hopefully she finds her own topic that she's interested in, whether it's, you know, dinosaurs or bugs or, you know, I think there's something out there for every kid. What is she into right now? I'm curious. Actually, she is into dinosaurs. Um, yeah. We took her, there's that Dinos Alive exhibit that's like traveling the country. That's the, um, the Jurassic Quest no, it's called Dinos Alive. I don't know. We have one called Jurassic Quest. It's the big animatronic dinosaurs yeah. that come. Yes. Yeah. It for as an I mean, not to be down on it, but as an adult, like it's not something I would go to do myself. It's a little no. cheesy. Um, but and we thought, oh my gosh, it's pretty scary. Like they're life-sized. And we thought, oh my gosh, you know, are you driving all the way here? And she's not going to like it. And she loved it. She was just running around like crazy saying, saying that's a Brachiosaurus. And I was like, no, it's not but, like cool that you know that word. <laughs> right. <laughs> but the funniest one that I've heard my, um, 
my five-year-old has a little lisp and he's like giganosaurus, but he says it with like a little, I'm like, excuse me. I would have <laughs> pronounced that giganosaurus. It's my, my oldest is like, it's giganosaurus. I'm like, oh, okay. I don't, okay, great. Like That's they, so it's fascinating. I actually just talked to a national geographic kids, uh, author, uh, paleontologist last week. And cause it's dinosaur day. And he sent me a bunch of dino books, which I knew my oldest would love. And it's fascinating. Dinosaurs are fascinating to adults and kids. And I always thought it was going to be super scary for them when I went to those live that live thing. Cause the mm-hmm. animatronics are not the greatest on those traveling, yeah. like, but they don't care. They think it's great. And they're big mm-hmm. and they're like, Whoa, they look kind of like, like the, the sharks and the was it the, the mega, mega, megadon? Oh my gosh. Megalodon, the giant megalodon. Shark. Why am I yeah. blinking? Well, I should know this. Do not you should not know that. One of my biggest beef beefs with paleontologists is like, why can't you name this stuff? Some more kid-friendly names. I mean, like we've got a few nicknames. We've got like super croc, um, which yeah. is awesome. We need to do more of that. You can't make people remember. Like I have written a couple of dinosaur books and I don't even remember most of the dinosaur names. Um, but yeah, the kids are good with it though. Kids are good. Like my, yeah. my son will be, that's a quit. So Coatlas. I'm like, now I'll never forget it. And so I know it and we're going to go see the new Jurassic park movie. And I, I found myself pre-screening the last one. And I was like, Oh, that's a Paracephalosaurus. I'm like, why do I know these names? Like, these are the most difficult ones, but the kids learn through reading and national geographic things. And so I just, I learned through them too. Yeah. I think that's a good example of there are a lot of things that we think that are, are too difficult for kids. Um, and really we're not basing that on anything except that maybe we're not familiar with it or it seems right. difficult for us. Um, you know, there's nothing like, despite the fact that dinosaur names are long, there's no reason that kids can't remember them and they totally do. And I think that applies for, you know, there's a lot of stuff in this book. Like we talk about quantum mechanics, we talk right. about some super complicated physics concepts and, you know, you might think, oh, that's too advanced for kids, but is it, or is it just something that you personally are not familiar with? And I, I think that happens a lot that we kind of underestimate, um, how smart our kids are and um, their willingness to learn about new stuff. And, you know, why not learn about quantum physics as a 10 year old? And maybe it'll spark you to grow up and do something in a field that you never would have considered. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's something that's important to me as a writer is not underestimating kids and not feeding them the same old, um, you know, like, kids like lions and which they do like kids love animals, but let's, yeah. let's also like push them a little bit and introduce them to stuff that maybe they don't see all the time. And that book is definitely that um, there's not a lot of uh, this kind of future tech for kids, which made it tough to research because there wasn't a lot out there for me to kind of like base the, my ideas on, um, but made it a fun challenge. I mean, it's wonderful what you do and thank you so much for for expanding upon the book. And um, I'm excited to, to read it with uh, my eight-year-old and learn a lot of new things. And um, I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, and is there anywhere that, where can our listeners find you, find the book uh, if we want to follow more or, or keep track of your next you know, works? Yeah, um, I appreciate that. So the book came out this week. 
So it's available, should be available wherever books are sold. Um, and uh, my website is stephaniedrimmer.com. I love hearing from readers. Um, I got a fan letter in the mail actually the other day with um, a lot of uh, drawings of cats and um, this reader described how much she liked one of my books and I just, it totally made my day. So wow. I love, love hearing from readers. I will respond to kids who write to me. Um, and uh, yeah, I've got a lot of new things coming out. Uh, my next book is actually a dinosaur book. Um, <laughs> So that'll be a fun one to look forward to. And um, yeah, thank you for having me on. It was so fun. Yeah, yeah thank you. And let's come back and talk about the dinosaur book when, is, when you're all done with it. I would love to have you back. All right, let's do it. Well, thank you so much for being here. And listeners, go check out Stephanie and her book. It's an amazing book. I can't, I've, I've flipped through it. It's fantastic. It's a great coffee table book to keep as well. And uh, all, the, all the links will be in the show notes. And thank you again for listening to an episode of the Chaos and Cookies podcast. Thank you for listening to the Chaos and Cookies podcast. If you want more goodies and friends to share them with, follow the crumbs to the Facebook group or visit the Chaos and Cookies website to grab my sweet secrets on how to calm your cookies. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. See y'all next week for another episode of Chaos and Cookies.